Hello, you're listening to KUBU-FM, Low Power and the Voice of Sacramento. You can find KUBU locally at 96.5 on your FM dial or cable access channel 17 and 18. You can also listen in on the internet at accesssacramento.org. This program is Making Tracks, and I'm your host, Dale Steele. We're on weekly at this day and time. You can also find more information about what is covered on the show at daletracks.blogspot.com, and you can contact me there if you have questions or suggestions about the show. Here comes fall. We just passed the September or fall equinox when day and night are roughly equal, and now the nights will get longer and the days shorter until the winter solstice in December. I know it doesn't feel that way yet, but sandhill cranes are coming back to their winter home in this region, and if you're lucky, you might catch their prehistoric calls as they pass overhead, maybe even today. Ever wonder where cranes spend their summers and what happens when they leave? Well, we have a report today from Homer, Alaska. If you'd like to visit sandhill cranes here this fall and winter, Save Our Sandhill Cranes leads free tours, has teacher programs, and works to conserve these special birds and the habitat they need to survive. SOSCranes.org for more information. I've also got follow-up information on my idea of making Sacramento a B-City USA and what it would take to make that a priority here, as well as more you can do to protect bees. I'm also going to repeat some recent information about new and continuing American River Parkway problems. Music today... Seasons by Rebel Diaz, and If a Tree Falls by Bruce Cogburn. And now, head outside when you can. It's time for Making Track. So fall is back, and that means that sandhill cranes, salmon, and hopefully some rain are returning too. We're very lucky in this area to be able to visit nearby locations for sights and sounds that take us back briefly to a time before the landscape was changed. As the sun begins to set over Mount Diablo, the sky fills these days with sounds of sandhill cranes coming home to roost at Woodbridge Ecological Reserve after a day of foraging nearby. The tule elk don't migrate, but were mostly lost due to market hunting and habitat loss. Now numbering in the few thousands, tule elk are a popular attraction at refuges in the Central Valley. Breeding season is in the fall and males will bugle to challenge each other. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to hear that. It's amazing. Meanwhile, salmon are also keying in on signals in the river to return and search for spawning areas. A little later in the year, you may be lucky and hear these big fish chasing each other in shallow water to deposit and fertilize their eggs in suitable gravel habitat. Now, such scenes have been scarce as the cold water required by these magnificent fishes. But the, the sights and sounds of wildlife during the changing seasons never grows old and marks another year outdoors. There are many efforts to protect and restore areas needed by our native fish and wildlife, too, so be sure to support these efforts. Fall is a time to celebrate, and one of the very best ways to do so is to head outside and enjoy the wildlife spectacles like these that we have.
A sandhill crane looks and sounds like a modern-day dinosaur. They stand about three feet tall and have a six-foot wingspan. They use their sharp four-inch beak for probing in the dirt and catching insects and small mammals. And sometimes they use that long beak for defense. That beak is a very, very lethal weapon. That's Nina Faust. She's the co-founder of Catchamat Crane Watch, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the conservation of sandhill cranes. I think they're very majestic birds. They, a lot of people have described them as regal. They, they kind of move like royalty, and they're just very elegant. And when they dance, it's just the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen. A flock of 20 lesser sandhill cranes forages in a grassy field at Inspiration Ridge Preserve in Homer. Faust points to a group of three cranes standing close together. You can see a family right there. The adults have red on the top, and they have a yellow eye. And the young are totally golden-colored with no red top and a black or dark eye. They're getting ready to migrate 2,400 miles to their overwintering grounds in Sacramento, California. But before the cranes leave in mid-September, Faust has a job to do. Every fall, she organizes a citizen science survey of the crane population on the southern Kenai Peninsula. On three specific days, residents contact her to report sandhill crane sightings. Using this information, she's able to estimate how big the population is each year. Habitat loss and predation can have a big effect on the crane population, says Faust. Around Kachemak Bay, bald eagles are a constant threat. It's interesting to watch, too, because sometimes they'll see the eagle way off in the distance, and then they'll start giving this little growling call, and everybody stands up and looks, and then they all get ready, and if it gets closer, they're gone. <laughs> a large-scale die-off of common myrrh seabirds in early summer attracted bald eagles to the Homer area. Faust says that many of the eagles appear to have stayed behind and are now preying on other animals, including cranes. Another potential hazard? Humans. You almost never see them on roads, but this year there's been a problem because someone who lives on a busy road and their yard is right on the edge of a busy road started feeding them and they showed up and then they've been starting to walk all over the neighborhood and it hadn't been a problem because uh, I've never had any complaints, but now I have had people stopping me in the post office, calling me on the phone and saying, what's with the cranes marching down the middle of roads in the middle of Homer? Cranes strolling in downtown areas risk getting hit by cars. They can also fly into power lines. Gosh, they, f they get panicked off. They can fly right into them. It breaks their wings. It can rip their beaks off. Just a horrible death. Despite these threats, this year's survey showed that the sandhill crane population in Homer is holding steady at about 200 individuals. The population produced 47 babies this year, but only 30 survived to the end of the nesting season. That's about normal. In early September, the sandhill cranes left Homer and headed back to California's Central Valley. Faust and her fellow craniacs watched the last cranes depart for the year. She says this time of year always feels bittersweet. It leaves a big hole in your heart. In California, Bart McDermott is eagerly awaiting the arrival of the cranes. He manages Stone Lake National Wildlife Refuge, just south of Sacramento. He says the cranes start arriving in early October. Well, you start to hear them first. If you're fortunate enough, you can hear kind of their 
prehistoric-sounding cackle. The cranes roost in wetlands at night and go out into neighboring agricultural fields during the day to forage for grain. But McDermott says the cranes are facing a growing list of threats in the Sacramento area. Unfortunately, there's also a lot of um, urban development, so we've seen a lot of these fields that cranes you know, typically go out and forage in um, start to be converted into housing developments. The ongoing drought in California also poses a risk to cranes. In order to have a wetland, you need water, and you need a lot of water. And the birds also rely on the farmers having water to be able to um, grow those crops. There's also concerns of wildlife diseases. You get uh, smaller areas where you have higher concentrations of birds um, roosting in water, and, and there's the risk of disease communication and outbreaks. The cranes will remain in California throughout the winter before heading north in late February. For now, Craniacs and Homer will have to wait until spring before these graceful giants return to nest. In Homer, I'm Shayla Farzan. Silence is golden only if you pause to give it a listen I'm wishing I could tone it down But my town filled with lights At war with darkness imposed by night No rest, sunset, unrest Simmers in summer, winter indoors Weather disruptions we under Bundle up, it's a showdown Florida under snow now North Dakota, it's warm How many ways they gonna attempt to explain The next hurricane, an earthquake Tidal waves in the Atlantic Can't get stranded in Manhattan I'll be happy in the Bronx Looking ahead North, upstate with some land Crops to feed my fam Make sure they don't frack with my water supply Fall back, spring fall With another hot chorus Summer, winter, the cold is yet upon us Trust, fear, change in the air That's why we put it in the air Beware, beware Fall back, spring fall With another hot chorus Summer, winter, the cold is yet upon us Mama Earth cries, the corporations have abused her They treat her like a prostitute They just use her, they drain lakes and rivers till we end a river phoenix gone way too young quite the horrible experience be patient don't be thirsty like somalia real talk they at war for the rights of clean water truck smoke in the air so the shorties get asthma smoke from the l got they minds in the rafters what up mr trucker dropping off the toxic waste why you dumping all the garbage from the whole tri-state e coli in the air quite the violent strain grandma got diabetes uncle easy had aids my mental kind of rocky like stallone and apollo so i made the right choice and put down that bottle i feel happy i'm in tune with nature and my surroundings i always go green it makes everything outstanding fall back spring fall with another hot chorus summer winter the cold is yet upon us trust fear change in the air that's why we put it in the air beware beware fall back spring fall with another hot chorus 
summer, winter, the coldest shit upon us. Seasons by Rebel Diaz. You're listening to KUBU-FM, Low Power and the Voice of Sacramento. This program is Making Tracks, and I'm your host, Dale Steele. We're on weekly at this day and time. Today on Making Track, I've got follow-up information on my idea of making Sacramento a B-City USA and what it would take to make that a priority here, as well as more you can do to protect bees. And the American River Parkway continues to be heavily impacted. How can we better coexist? Meanwhile, remember all those invasive nutria rodents I covered recently? At least 270 have been reported captured so far. Last week on Making Tracks, I discussed why Bee City USA has a program that is good for bees and would be good for Sacramento. It raises awareness of the role of pollination, enhances habitats, and celebrates achievement. There are 74 cities around the U.S. that are bee cities. Sacramento is not one of them, unfortunately. So the Bee City USA program endorses a set of commitments as defined in a resolution for creating sustainable habitats for pollinators, which as we know are vital for feeding the planet. So incorporated cities, towns, and counties, and other communities across America are invited to make these commitments and become certified as a Bee City USA affiliate. Remember, one in three bites of food we eat is courtesy of insect pollination, and at least 90% of the world's wild plants depend on pollinators to reproduce. Well, since last week's show, I've spoken to Sacramento City Councilman Jeff Harris, who raises bees and has championed them here locally. He expressed some willingness to support the Bee City USA program, but he will need to hear from others first. Meanwhile, there's lots of other things needed to do to protect bees. We're going to talk about one now. Did you know that bees are dying and there are ripple effects throughout our food system and bee-killing neonectic pesticides are largely to blame? California Department of Pesticide Regulation has the power to eliminate these pesticides, and it's currently accepting public input on its assessment of the bee-killing neonectids. What's necessary is to tell the agency to take action now on these pesticides. You need to tell them to ban the use of bee-killing pesticides. Research has confirmed that neonictoid pesticides kill and harm bees and other pollinators like butterflies and birds. This, of course, poses a serious threat to our food supply public health, and the environment. Well, the EPA so far is refusing to take action on these chemicals. Given the current administration, I don't think we can expect that to change anytime soon. EPA recently pushed back on its assessment of neonictids for another year, even though beekeepers lost nearly half their hives on average this year. The good news is that action on neonictids is possible. The European Union recently voted to ban all outdoor uses of bee-killing neonictid pesticides. Canada just announced it will phase out most outdoor and agricultural uses of these pesticides, too. Maryland and Connecticut have already passed state bills to ban consumer use, and cities and counties and major retailers across the country are committed to not use or sell bee-killing neonic. Now, California has the opportunity to be a leader for the rest of the country, but state officials will need to hear from you. So tell California officials, protect our bees and our food system by banning these dangerous pesticides. Bayer and Syngenta, two of the biggest producers of neonics, are doing everything possible to keep them on the market. They've aimed to discredit the latest science and stop California from taking action. After all, they have billions in profits at stake. So we're going to need to ramp up pressure on the agency and demand that it follow the science and not the direction of the pesticide industry. 
that needs your help. So tell the California Department of Pesticide Regulation to protect bees and our food system from bee-killing pesticides now. You can get more information on this from friendsoftheearth.org. attended was the American River Parkway Coalition meeting, which is made up of local nonprofits and neighborhood associations that get together monthly to share information and facilitate decisions on long-term management and conservation of the American River Parkway for its recreation, nature, and open space values. It's the largest turnout I've ever I've seen in for a recent meeting started off with Metro Fire presenting information on their prescribed burning program for training and managing vegetation and reducing risk in the Dry Creek and American River Parkway areas. There were lots of questions in the room, and many of us felt that more work is needed to better understand and influence the decisions being made about when and how and if to burn in the parkway. Meanwhile, there are other burns scheduled for later this month. There was also a discussion about issues with impacts to local neighborhoods in certain burn situations when smoke and odors are getting into homes and, and also the concerns about controlling fire in a dense area. At the same meeting, we also had a presentation from a retired professor who's done some detailed work upstream at Steelhead Creek near El Camino Avenue where it enters into the American River Parkway. He did some recent studies looking at the amounts of trash and toxic material that are accumulated in the stream channel there, and he actually did some great effort to clean up and quantify the amount of material there. He found that over 70% of the channel was lined or armored with materials that prevented access into the soil below by plants and animals. He's pursuing various means now to get leadership involved in cleanup effort and also documented that a lot of the materials we're talking about are toxic, such as disposed batteries, uh, heavy metals, a number of things. And the information from the presentation that he shared will be available. But it was shocking the amount of material that came out of this relatively small space that he randomly sampled. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the parkway, over 100 volunteers collected over 20,000 pounds of trash above the channels mostly and removed it on a big cleanup effort. But if if this much of the stream channels are contaminated materials as well as much more material that lines the banks and high flows will wash them into the channels, we're talking about something on a much larger scale than I think we could even appreciate at this time. Then we also received an update from the chief ranger about a recent court decision in the Ninth Circuit Court that affects western states and homeless issues and illegal camping within the American River Parkway. The right to rest and the ability to move people out of sensitive areas or areas that were not designated for camping is being challenged now because if, if the local community doesn't have enough beds for people and there's no place for them to go, then it may well be illegal to remove or arrest them for doing something that they have a right to do. So much more meetings going on about this, lots of questions, not details available yet. It affects much more than Sacramento, but it was another of the big topics that we discussed in this meeting. Now, another discussion point that was very important was PG&E, is part of a utility corridor that crosses the American River Parkway at several locations, and they've got a proposal out to remove a number of mature cottonwoods in the lower reaches of the parkway in the Discovery Park area along Steelhead Creek and the slough there. 
These mature cottonwoods cover over an eight-acre area. It appears to provide much raptor habitat and other value um, to the area. It also provides much shading for the lower reaches of that stream that empties into the American River. And there were lots of questions, again, about the necessity and impact and follow-up to such a, a proposal. There's a field trip to review the site on September 25th at 10 a.m. at Discovery Park, and the public is welcome to come out and learn more about this. Questions that were unanswered were whether avoidance considerations such as raising the towers, relocating utility corridor, or at least having a larger holistic management plan for the utility corridor in this most important American River Parkway, which is enjoyed by millions of people on an annual basis and provides a unique outdoor experience with open space and natural environment and recreation opportunities for so many of us. If a Tree Falls by Bruce Cogburn. California is taking action to protect the state's plants, animals, and unique biodiversity with a new executive order. The order also establishes September 7th as California Biodiversity Day each year. Well, California is home to more species of plants and animals than any other state in the country. The deserts, forests, mountain ranges, valleys, wetlands, woodlands, rivers, estuaries, marine environments, rangelands, and agricultural fields of California provide refuge for a vast array of species, including approximately 650 species of birds, 220 species of mammals, 75 species of amphibians, 70 freshwater fish, over 100 marine fish and mammals, and approximately 6,500 native plants, of which 2,000 or more are rare. Together, the state's plants and animals coexist to create the complex ecosystems of so much of California's people and economy depend. This executive order directs the Department of Food and Agriculture and the Department of Fish and Wildlife to work together to safeguard the existing plants and animals while restoring and protecting habitat across both working and wild places. This action follows steps taken earlier this year to protect the state's biological heritage. The approved 2018-19 state budget allocated $2.5 million to launch the California Biodiversity Initiative in partnership with tribal groups, educators, and researchers, the private sector, philanthropic groups, and landowners. The steps outlined in the executive order and a complementary California Biodiversity Initiative will improve our understanding of the state's biological richness and identify actions to preserve manage and restore ecosystems to protect the state's biodiversity from climate change. This California Biodiversity Initiative and the immediate series of steps identified in it and the roadmap represent a first step. 
His success will depend on ongoing leadership by state with collaboration from diverse partners and stakeholders and support and engagement by all Californians. In December of 2017, a group of 26 scientific experts across the state's universities, herbariums, and conservation organizations drafted and signed a historic charter to secure the future of California's native biodiversity. Their short statement describes California's unique role as a biodiversity hotspot, the importance of preserving this status, and the challenges to doing so, and identifies key action areas to achieve, maintain, restore, and preserve the state's biodiversity. The charter document is an inspiration for the principles and actions outlined in the California Biodiversity Initiative and Roadmap, and I encourage you to read it. I'll include a link to it in the show notes for this program. Don't forget to check out my other radio program on KUBU. The Climate Report focuses on local climate actions and more, sponsored by 350 Sacramento, every Wednesday at noon. And be sure to tune in Tuesdays at 1 p.m. For Radio EcoShock, the latest on science, issues, and authors dealing with climate change and the environment on a global scale. Hosted and produced by Alex Smith. Don't miss it. You're listening to KUBU-FM, Low Power and Voices Sacramento. You can find KUBU locally at 96.5 on your FM dial or cable access channel 17 and 18. You can also listen in on the internet at accesssacramento.org. This program is Making Tracks. Again, thank you for listening. Well, I-